Fred has a secret in his cellar. Stowed away safely in a refrigerated safe is a family heirloom. It's a bottle of red wine. Chateau Margot, 1875 vintage. Perhaps that doesn't mean anything to you. I have to confess, I looked it up. Can you guess what such a bottle of wine is worth? About what Fred earns in a year. And there it is in Fred's cellar. That should help with our retirement fund. Or getting the kids through university. Or weddings. Or... But here is Fred's wife, Mavis. Fred! Grandad is coming over. He's so sweet. It would be nice to do something to celebrate his 90th birthday. <laughs> Not the wine! Not the wine! I, I can't believe you know what that's worth. Today we are looking at Matthew chapter 26 and verses 1 to 16. And the beginning and end of these verses describe the Jewish leaders plotting to do away with Jesus. But in the middle, we have the woman who honoured him. The beginning and the end of these verses describe Judas and his calculated treachery. But in the middle, we have her uncalculating generosity. It's like a, a beautiful picture in a filthy frame. In the frame of wicked plotting and sordid bargaining, we have this portrait of lavish love. So let's start with the story itself, what actually happened. Jesus has come to Jerusalem for the last time. The final showdown. He's staying in Bethany, a little village two miles east of the city. And he's in the home of Simon the leper. We're not told, but we might presume Simon the ex-leper, if Jesus is in his home. They're reclining at the table, awaiting or enjoying a meal. And in comes a woman. Matthew doesn't name her, but it seems almost certain that this is Mary, Martha's sister, whose brother Lazarus was recently raised from the dead by Jesus. The woman has a bottle of ointment. Now, it was customary to, uh, for the host to anoint a guest, just like we might offer someone a drink when they arrive after a, a long journey. <coughs> Even, do you want to freshen up? There's the bathroom. But you wouldn't break open the 1875 Chateau Margot. But this is what the woman does. This is likely nard, imported from India to open the bottle you would snap the narrow neck and so it was a one use blow it all fit for a king treatment a year's wages for a labourer and the reaction she gets is just what we might expect the onlookers are horrified just hear them snorting out their disapproval in sharp criticism not the nard! 
I can't believe. Have you any idea what that's worth? In one single moment, she had blown the whole lot. What a waste. Do you know how much good we could have done with that? How many poor people we could have helped? But Jesus jumps to her defence. Why are you giving her grief? That was a beautiful thing. There'll be plenty more chances to help the poor. They'll always be around. But I won't. Then he says a strange thing. He says, she did it to prepare me for burial. <coughs> did the woman intend that? It's possible. Perhaps she'd been listening to Jesus' words, his dire predictions. We know that Mary was a listener. Above all, if he was to be crucified, then those bodies weren't honoured. They were just flung in some criminal's pit. Did she intend to prepare him for burial? Maybe, or maybe not. But Jesus saw it as most appropriate. Then we have the final stunning prediction. Assuredly, verse 13, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Jesus sees beyond the cross and the grave to a message of good news that would circle the globe. And wherever that message went, this woman's act would be remembered. That was her legacy. So three things to take away this evening. Number one, nothing is more important than unbounded enthusiasm for Jesus. Nothing is more important than unbounded enthusiasm for Jesus. Start at the end. Verse 13. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be also told as a memorial to her. Here is something, says Jesus, that absolutely everyone needs to see and to hear and to ponder. Why is that? Because it's at the heart of the Christian faith. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And here it is, vividly illustrated. No amount of eloquence or insight or faith or activity or whatever can make up for a lack of love, love for Jesus. Back in 2004, I became full-time elder, pastor at Grace Church Yate, or it was Grace Church Westerlin, now Grace Church Yate. What was I to preach on my very first Sunday? Much in here, I've been a computer software developer, I'd gone away, studied theology. Here I was, my first Sunday as elder. What was I to preach? I preach from Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 to 6. And then when we moved into a new building, nine years later, I preach from the same text. Then when I started at Highbury Baptist Church, two and a half years ago, 
Well, pretty soon we looked at the same text. Why? Because Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 expresses an unbounded enthusiasm for Jesus. And that is what Christians should be all about. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Why was the woman in our story so unbounded in her enthusiasm, so lavish in her devotion? Doubtless it was reverence and affection and gratitude for all that she had received. Truth, love, benefit for her soul. If it was Mary, as it seems, we know that she loved to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to him. He spoke words of eternal life. And if it was Mary, we know that Jesus had recently reached into her world of shocked bereavement and raised her brother to life after four days in the tomb. Words of life, indeed. She believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the King sent from God, the Anointed One. Maybe that was in her heart when she anointed him with precious ointment. God's word on his lips. God's power in his touch. God's compassion in his heart. Always true. Always kind. Always wise. Gracious, <coughs> gentle, with reassuring words for repentant sinners. No one ever spoke like this man. Or lived like him. What were hearts made for? If not to love a man like this. What could she do? What did she have? What could she give? Everything. For him. For his pleasure. For his honour. And Jesus doesn't say. You shouldn't have. It was too much. Because it wasn't too much. She was right. Nothing is more important than unbounded enthusiasm for Jesus. And that's why everyone who hears the gospel needs to hear this story and to ponder this example. Every Jew needs to hear this story because Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Every Muslim needs to hear this story because Jesus isn't just a prophet. Every Jehovah's Witness needs to hear this story because Jesus isn't just a created angel. The unbounded enthusiasm of the New Testament for the Lord Jesus Christ confirms its astonishing claim that in Jesus we encounter God face to face. Every person in our materialistic Western world needs to hear this story and weigh up their own scale of values, of worth. And every person here tonight needs to ask, is there anything of this in my own heart? Anything of this reckless, lavish, wanting to please Jesus? Nothing is more important than unbounded enthusiasm for Jesus. Point number two. People will 
misunderstand and criticize such enthusiasm. People will misunderstand and criticize such enthusiasm. We see that in verse 8. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? Experience confirms it. People will misunderstand and criticize such enthusiasm. If people spend a fortune promoting themselves, having a better life, enjoying themselves, getting a better education, if people spend a fortune on those things, it is generally quickly forgiven or even admired. But if people show the same level of zeal and expense and energy and time for the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's nothing in it for them, if people do that, then they're likely to be labelled fanatics, extreme, over the top. And sadly, that includes criticism from other Christians. People will misunderstand and criticise such enthusiasm. Why this waste? Of course we love Jesus, but this is overkill. Imagine the good that could have been done. And that criticism might be wrapped up in worthy language. It was here, wasn't it? Verse 9. This fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. They don't want their small hearts to be shown up by her large one. Worthy language, but still indignant. Sometimes Christians, young Christians maybe, new Christians, do things that are reckless, lavish, even unwise, out of love for Jesus. They give things up. They lay things down. And others look on with disapproval. Like James Fraser, who's a missionary to a mountain tribe in western China. He was back visiting England after a decade in China and from his life of simplicity out there in the tribes from his life of simplicity and even squalor he found himself among the silverware and the servants of his family home a century or so ago and he records the barbed remark of a family member well James you regret it now don't you throwing away your life in the backwards Achieving precisely nothing. What a waste. A brilliant engineer. A talented musician. Leaving it all behind for primitives. No. Not for primitives. For Jesus. What a waste. They said that of Martin Lloyd-Jones when he left the pinnacle of the medical profession in Harley Street, London, to become preacher in a South Wales industrial town. Think of how much good you could have done. People will misunderstand and criticise such enthusiasm. We meet to talk about Jesus and to sing about him, and the world finds it odd. Even the traditional churchgoer finds it a bit over the top, a bit embarrassing. And that was true even in my old church in Yate, full of rather reserved, largely middle-class English believers. What do they think of my West Indian and Nigerian friends in Tottenham with their clapping and their hallelujah, thank you, Jesuses? People will misunderstand and criticise such enthusiasm. Don't be 
don't be, don't be surprised. And don't be discouraged because, number three, Jesus delights in such costly devotion. Jesus delights in such costly devotion. See how quickly Jesus jumps to her defence. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? She's done a good work for me. That's a little bit tame. I think it's that She's done something beautiful. I think it's a, it would be a better translation. She's done something beautiful. She's done a good work for me. They look on and criticise. And sometimes we do too. That should have been done differently. That's over the top. But Jesus sees into her heart. All she wants to do is honour him. To do what she can do. To give what she can give. It's all for him. Every drop. It's extreme. It's fanatical. It's wasteful. It's beautiful. That's what Jesus says. Beautiful thing. Jesus delights in such costly devotion. Jesus sees when barbed words of criticism discourage those who are full of love for him. He sees the hurt that is caused. People who, who act recklessly out of love for Jesus are not to be bothered, not to be criticised. Maybe, maybe you're itching to add your caveats at this point. Maybe we're more like the disciples than the woman. It wasn't a waste, nor was her devotion misplaced. Jesus wants them all to know that. He wants the whole world to know that. Jesus delights to honour those who honour him. J.C. Ryle writes, The deeds and titles of many a king, an emperor and general, are as completely forgotten as if written in the sand. But this act of needless beauty is remembered and honoured. And so it will be on Judgment Day for those who have loved Jesus. That is what will matter. That is what will count. We cannot be too enthusiastic about Jesus. Perhaps there's someone here like this woman. Something you've given up for Jesus. Something laid down. Something precious. Maybe it was an opportunity passed because you were more <coughs> concerned to please him. And others would look on and say, it was a waste. A life lived for Jesus is always a waste in this world's eyes. A waste of time, of money, of strength. Motives are misunderstood, actions misconstrued. Maybe in your own heart you're tempted to wonder, was it worth it? Jesus is worth it. His pleasure is worth it. Jesus delights in such costly devotion. What you have done for Jesus will not be forgotten by the one person who matters. Time spent with him. How precious time is in this 24-7 world of ours. Yet you just want to spend time with him. In his presence. In his word. Speaking to him. Sharing with him. But what have you done? What have you achieved? What have you got to show for it? The world asks all the wrong questions. 
because they don't know him. Things done for him. Things perhaps that no one else sees. Things that seem to come to nothing. Resources spent for him. Talents. Maybe you could have been the very top of your field. But you'll be a nobody. Because you're pouring all your energy into pleasing him. What a waste. Or a beautiful thing. I wonder if we put such a premium on love for Jesus. Whether we value it this highly. So many other things in church life are important. Doctrine, outreach, fellowship. But it all has to be for him. Jesus delights in such costly devotion. If you had to choose one episode that simply had to be remembered wherever the gospel was preached, which one would it be? This story is in Matthew's Gospel. By the time the Apostle John wrote his Gospel, this story was widespread. When he introduces Mary in chapter 11 and verse 2, he writes, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You know, he can use that to identify her. You know, this, it was this Mary, the one that you've heard about, with the perfume. He can use that to identify her because everyone had heard that story. And now, over 2,000 languages in our world have New Testament translations. A thousand more have scripture portions, presumably gospels. That's the first language of over 6 billion people. And in all those gospels, in all those languages, there's this story of this lavish outpouring of love and expense. The woman who anointed Jesus. The woman who thought Christ was worth everything all in one go. Is that how you think? How much more reason we have to treasure Jesus on this side of the cross? In pouring this fragrant oil on my body, verse 12, she did it for my burial. But first, he's got to get through the garden whilst his friends sleep, even though he so much wants their support. The garden where he sweats great drops of blood as the horror of the cross dawns in a new way. Father, 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 take it away some other way. But he will go through with it. He's got to get through the trial. He's got to get through the mocking and the brutal whipping and then the cross itself and the darkness and all so much worse than even it seemed in the garden. Abandoned, forsaken and all so that we might escape God's judgment. The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What were hearts made for, if not to love a man like this? So Christians, be reckless in your love. And be intentional in your living. In the mundane, 
in the everyday and in the big decisions, your life trajectory, despite disapproval, despite misunderstanding. And what about those of you who don't yet know Christ? You were made to know him. Nothing else will satisfy you. Won't you come to him tonight? In your heart? Take hold of him. Trust him. Only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ 